in the time we have left, which is, what, an hour and a half, right? Yeah, don't worry, I'll be done in time. People are starting to panic already. If you have a bulletin, you'll see on there that uh, we've been parking on a little series I've called Faith Factor because we're trying to encourage ourselves and build ourselves up in our faith. And so, uh, Pastor Tim, if you don't know, this is Pastor Tim over here, wave. Uh, He started as our youth guy and uh, youth pastor, uh, came in and rescued my soul, if you will, when uh, I was new here and people were saying, we need something for our youth. And I'm like, you know, I got the deer in the headlights look. And uh, he came to church one day and said, you know, I've done some of this. Can I help you? And I was like, take a seat, you know. (laughs) And uh, he's been with us ever since and doing a good work. I love hearing when staff bear good fruit. I love that. And so sometimes I hear from my people what they have heard that Pastor Tim or Pastor Derek, anybody has poured into their kids or someone. That's a blessing, right? That's good news. We love to hear it. So, Pastor Tim did a little series on this uh, idea of our values, upward, seeing God, inward. When we talk about inward, we're talking about looking inside here, but also, can I say this, looking inside here. This is inward, right? This is also inward, as opposed to looking outward, which is about those who are lost, which is about going to Kenya on a mission trip or what have you. And by the way, um, can you back that up? Because I don't want anybody to read that already. That's a <laughs> they might think about it. Um, put, the, put the main screen on. I, you can't see it very well, but there's, I don't have the little laser beam, but there's a little asterisky thing by the four and under John. Yeah, it's a little asterisky thing. And, and what we're trying to do is come up with a little mini logo. And uh, it looks up, in, and out. It's a mini logo. It's so mini you can't see it, right? I'm just telling you it's there. You can believe me or not. All right, so it is there, right? But that's what it's about. And so... When, when Pastor Tim preached that series, I decided I would massage that a little more, especially in the light of what we've been seeing. First, we talked about the upward, and, and people started to, I think, do some business with God, and we saw that here in our service. And then we started looking inward, talking about our personal life and our corporate life. And then when Gary and Melissa came, we all thought, he's going to talk about all that really broken, raunchy stuff, Right? And it ended up, what was he talking about? Us. We're all broken. And the, the issue of getting real with one another and speaking life to each other and all of that kind of hit us like stark raving reality. And the body started sharing. And, and uh, when you start to see that kind of real fellowship begin to happen, it exposes how much we've been missing. And so it kind of touched a nerve for us. And some people were kind of uh, shook or got it, it got their attention. And some bands of brothers and sisters have started to get together and start challenging each other and encouraging each other and speaking life to each other. Am I right? Some of you are doing that. And uh, some of you may not be, but we're not twisting any arms. But there should be some place of health in your life where people can speak into you. 
you know, I've been pastoring for 40 some odd years and I still have brothers and sisters who can speak into my life. I receive from men or women if they are on the right zone with me. They understand. I know that they love me. I know they're for me. They're not out to get me. They can speak life to me. And they can. And sometimes speaking life means you stepped in it, you dodo, you know, that kind of a thing. And we all need that if we're really serious about becoming followers of Jesus Christ and becoming like him. So now we'll put that screen up. Thanks uh, so much, Ryan. Believing what could be. That was the second half of my message from last week. We didn't even touch it. But that's what we want to see. We unpacked or we repacked what we had already covered. And now we're talking about believing what could, in fact, be. Talking about real life. Pinocchio becoming a real boy. The church becoming a real church, not a club. Too much club, too many clubs. Too many clubs in America, but a real church where we provoke one another to life and godliness. I'm just going to read a passage of scripture. You don't have to turn there unless you want to. It's on page 328 in this black Bible that's in the chair in front of you. It's 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. I didn't get to it last week. What I did get to last week was the backstory. Any of you who have church or Bible background, you know who David is. You know who King David is. You also know what his big blunder is. You know what he did. The man after God's own heart. And by the way, uh, he blew it and he had to eat the consequences of it, right? But I mentioned last week, and I I only want to park on this for two minutes because I want to move on to some other ideas. I mentioned that he, when he should have been out to battle, leading his armies, he was home playing video games and drinking beer. And he was wasting his time, and he's walking around. He's not on his spiritual game. Have you ever not been on your spiritual game? That's when you get in trouble, when we drift. You start getting sloppy. Oh, yeah, I'll pray later. I know my my sin list is getting pretty long, but I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. Uh Uh-oh, you got too late. And that's what happened to him. And so he's not guarding his heart. And this is a man who God withheld nothing from. And he had to have his hands on something that wasn't his. And I asked, where were his friends? You know, I thought about this. Perfect love, the Bible says, casts out Some of you know that verse. Perfect love casts out fear. I mean, if I was working for the king who could have taken my head off just like that with a mere command, I understand the fear. But where were his mighty men? Where were his friends when he made up his mind he was going to do this? That was my question. Thankfully, there is a good friend that's been with him for a long time. His name is Nathan the prophet. So here's how the story goes in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. The Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and he said, you know, I get around. I was visiting a couple of the local towns here just outside of Jerusalem. I noticed there was this really rich rancher. This guy had thousands and thousands of cattle and everything else and he had a big dignitary friend of his a big ceo of a company came to visit him and they had to put on a big feast because it's customary you know you have to entertain open up the pool do all of that that was back in jerusalem back then they really did that 
You guys aren't believing me. Anyway, this man was wealthy, had all that he wanted. There was also another little farmer next door who only had one little lamb, and that lamb was so precious to the whole family, it was like a pet. And it would even sleep with them in, in their beds, and, and it was all just really cozy, and you have to be a real animal lover to do that. But anyway... That's what he did. And this well-to-do rancher said, you know what? I'm going to take that man's little lamb and sacrifice it for dinner so that we can put on this spread for the big CEO who's coming to town. David listens to this story and he gets all cranked up just like I do when I read the newspaper until I think about that's me. And David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, I swear to... That's what he's saying. Surely the man who has done this deserves to die. Somebody that heartless, that selfish, that greedy deserves death. Is he right or wrong? No, he's right. And he must make restitution. I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to be a good king. I'm not going to kill him. But he's got to make restitution for the lamb fourfold. That's the strict rule of the law. You stole it. You pay back fourfold. Because he did this thing and had no compassion. He had no compassion. And Nathan says, tag, you're it. You are the man. You have to be pretty far down in the sludge spiritually to not see that one coming as he was telling the story. <clears throat> Do you remember when Gary was here, he was saying, you know, I want, I want to get this point across. We need that band of brothers. We need somebody who's watching. I've noticed something. Are you sliding in this regard? I want to talk just for a couple of minutes about this idea of body life. And the first point I have is the ministry of admonition. The ministry, you've got three fill-ins, ministry of admonition. John Ortberg did a great audio on this, worth owning and listening to and applying. Because some of us are so nervous, you know, it's like, oh, how can I talk to anybody? But he, he teaches you how to ask questions, you know. Brian, we were talking the other day and... You said a couple of things. You know, I've noticed. Can I ask you a question about that comment you made? It's not that hard. And you can get into a comment. Notice, we have a relationship, though. I don't just come cold at them and say, hey, I'm, I'm a busy buddy. I want to get in your business here and tell you which ends up. Because I know which ends up. Yeah. Yeah, this week. <laughs> this week I do. Anyway. Gary made a comment that, w- that said, as Christians, more than ju- we, there should be more to our Christian life than just getting into heaven and avoiding naughty things while we're here. Now, a lot of us aren't even trying to avoid naughty things, but you want to get into heaven and you do want to avoid naughty things. He's not saying you don't do it, but there's more to that Christian life than that, Right? So I want to push past this, but for just a minute, I want to regroup on this, the ministry of admonition, because we're all striving against sin, and we're also all in need of help or pressing in, trying to be effective, trying to be significant, trying to find what my gifting is, what my calling is. Where should I invest my time? Isn't that what breathes life into you? When you find... I was... 
If anybody, I, I can't recommend this movie. Remember Zombieland? <laughs> I was made to do this, Woody Harrelson says, you know. And uh, no, I didn't recommend it. I don't want to hear about it. But there's something about doing what you're made to do. And there are times when I, I know my gifting and I pour into it. Like, I know that's why. I, you can sense the pleasure of God in it. We were praying with the worship team. This week. Can you actually believe me when I say, you can know that God has pleasure in what you're doing? Anybody remember Chariots of Fire? Love that movie. Love the story. And I love when, El, uh, um, what's his name again? Eric Little says, Jenny, his uptight, I don't want to, his, up, his uptight Christian missionary sister who's got all the rules and just can't enjoy anything. And she's like, you shouldn't be doing this. And he goes, Jenny, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I love the way they caught it in the film, too. When he would get to that point of running, his head would go back, almost like he's looking up at the Father, feeling the pleasure of God, knowing he's doing what he was supposed to do. So it's more than just staying out of sin, which some of us need to work at a little harder, but it's also going beyond that, finding where the fulfillment really is. Learn to give and receive admonishment. I'm going to go back in history here a little bit for me. There was a book I had to read years ago, God's Forgetful Pilgrims. It was written in 1975. Probably cost $2.50 at the time, you know, and everybody's thinking, what could we possibly learn from something written in 1975? God's Forgetful Pilgrims, talking about the body of Christ and how we influence each other and build each other up, right? So it says here, Quoting the scripture, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he says, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. This is uh, the author, by the way, was Michael Griffiths. To be frank, our congregational life has degenerated to such an extent that this kind of rich fellowship where admonishing can take place is remarkably rare. If, we, if it happens at all, most of us feel so embarrassed that we have to screw up our courage to say anything critical of another, being only too conscious of our own personal inconsistencies, right? We are so ready to take offense and so careful of not giving it. I hate that. It's true, but I hate it. We're so ready to take offense, and so careful of not giving it. Sometimes our fellowship can only be described as Lucy described Charlie Brown, wishy-washy. To our modern way of thinking, admonishing others seems somewhat priggish. Because of our extreme individualism, we tend to feel that our inconsistencies in Christian behavior are an entirely private and personal affair. Mind your own business, is the individualistic rejoinder barely stifled by our feeling that that might be an unspiritual reply. You know, how many of us would say, mind your own business, you dummy? You know, sounds unspiritual, doesn't it? What kind of a Christian are you? Anyway, I guess I'm losing everybody, right? Everybody's lost here? Don't know what I'm talking about? Oh, boy, don't do that. Okay, but 
if the whole church is going to be affected and defiled by my inconsistencies, if this leaven, which will defile the whole congregational lump, then I need to begin to ask myself whether my inconsistencies and sins are such a private affair as I imagine. Remember Aiken a few weeks ago? How come we don't believe that? How come we don't believe that's true? Okay? I'm not looking for a witch hunt here. People, you know, oh, what did I... I didn't pick up that trash I dropped. Oh, my gosh, you know. No, it's more serious than that. None of us is sinless, but where congregational fellowship is rich and deep and real, we will be ready to seek and to help one another flee temptation and, listen to this, flee temptation and achieve obedience. And I'll throw this extra in. At the earlier Methodist class meetings, I've mentioned them before, you know that Methodists were based on the term method, methodology, right? Methodology. They had a method to building their assemblies. And part of it was they would cluster in small meetings and they would ask some extremely personal questions like this. Have you experienced any particular temptations during the past week? Gary? How did you react or respond to those temptations, Keyshawn? Is there anything you are trying to keep secret? And if so, why? No, I wasn't going to use your name. I can pick on my elders. You get it. So how did you deal with it? So... At this point, the modern Christian swallows hard. We're often coated with a thick layer of reserve and modesty which covers a multitude of sins, usually our own. (laughs) Now, the point is, and again, we're not talking about being a busybody. We're talking about having friends that care about us that will prod me on and push me on in my growth and in Christ's likeness. Not just avoiding being naughty. And that's why I don't want to park on this for any more time because it sounds like that's all it's about is sanctification is all about getting rid of your sin. And it is moving toward holiness, but it's also becoming more Christ-like. And that brings me to my next point, which is the ministry of modeling. And I think it's appropriate because today we're gathering around the Lord's table. And the passage I'm going to read, uh, you're going to recognize Years ago, when I was leading a pastor's prayer time, the, the team, when I left town, bought me this, uh, this uh, sculpture. Anybody see what it is? I, mean, I should probably should have a camera on it so we can put it on the screen and see it. But if you can't see, this is Jesus. I mean, it's not literally. This is a statue of Jesus, okay? Um, this is Jesus, and this is, yeah, the guy. You know, the guy, the one that's always saying something, putting his foot in his mouth or whatever, right? It's a classic picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, right? And that's the text we're going to look at. So if you want to turn with me, you can to page 1077 in the black Bible that's in front of you. And you'll find there chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. And we're going to use this to focus our attention toward the Lord's table this morning, as well as what else we find in this passage. So, here's what it tells us here. Let me make sure I got my notes. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and he would depart out of this world to the Father, 
Having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them, wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, that is, Peter is saying, Lord, do you wash my feet? Does everybody understand what's going on here? In this culture, this was the job that a slave did, a servant, right? You don't do that. I mean, I've been, I've been in other countries and places where there's a very clear caste distinction, almost like we're developing in America. But I find myself, my wife and I, talking to the help, and people stare at you in the room like you're some dumb nut because you're talking to them. What are you talking to them like they're not humans? What a disgusting attitude. But that is what is going on here. Why Peter reacts the way he does. You, you're not going to wash my feet. Okay, everybody got it now? Never. Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. No, this ain't going to happen. I understand the rules. Actually, you don't understand a whole lot yet. If I don't wash you, Jesus said, you have no part with me. Then I'm all in. Simon Peter said, well, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Listen, folks, this is the line. Do you understand what I just did? That's what he's asking. Do you understand what I just did? And you should be asking yourself today, brothers and sisters, do I understand what he just did? Do I understand what this sculpture, I mean, it sits on a shelf. Once in a while I look at it, it makes me ponder. Do you understand what I just did for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Yes, I shouldn't be doing a slave's job. Yes, all of that is so. I am the Lord. You're right. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Can I just say it's kind of insipid thinking to, to think that that means we should have a foot washing ceremony. Oh, if we do a foot washing ceremony, then we're being like Jesus. I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, if you mark anything in your own Bibles, you ought to mark this. Verse 17, if you know these things, you are 
blessed. You're happy if you do them. If you will do what I'm talking about, Jesus is saying, if you'll do what I'm talking about, you'll be blessed. What is he talking about? Serving. Jesus gets down and serves his disciples. Who are you serving? Who am I pouring? Well, we serve God, and because we serve him then, we do, in fact, minister to one another. So the verse I'm going to put up that matters the most because I'm going to shut down so that we can gather around the table and focus. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, if Jesus is the Lord and the teacher, he's God in the flesh, washed my feet, if you will, I ought to wash another person's feet. And I'm not talking about a ritual. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. The thing that I saw happening as people were talking about um, engaging in life speak with each other and having a band of brothers or sisters is that the real disciples move from what do I get to what can I give? Here's the two thoughts I had. My story and my gifts. Your story, your brokenness and your recovery. Your story and your gifts can be used to feed and strengthen your neighbor. I'm not talking about the guy at the next location where you live, although it might be that. I'm talking of those who are around us. Your story and your life transformation, whatever God's doing, can breathe life into another person. And here's my question. If Jesus is a servant to us, how am I like him? What am I? If church is only about, oh, I don't know if I like the way he said that. I don't know if I like this music. Or I don't know if I like this. And I don't know if I like that. And I don't, you know, I don't know if you like anything. Is that what Christianity is about? Is that what following Jesus means? Complaining about everything? Hey, if he's a servant, who am I? He wants us to move us toward Christ-likeness, servanthood, etc. I have some random thoughts, but I'm going to leave them, okay? Let me move us toward the last point. Ministry received. Peter finally shuts up, and he lets Jesus wash his feet. <laughs> he receives it, right? And in the process, Jesus instructs him and the other disciples with this wonderful truth. And I'm going to share it. Some of you probably already know this, but in case you don't, this might be helpful for you. Jesus said to him, this is John 13, 10. We just went through it. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean. Not all of you, because one of you is going to betray me, but you are clean. I don't know, does anybody understand the spiritual dynamic here? In those days, you were going to go to a nice dinner. So you went to your friend's house who was throwing a nice dinner, and you would take a... You want to come up and preach here? Come on. I just terrified him. (laughs) What? You would take a bath, and you would put your best threads on and your sandals and you would walk the dusty road to your friend's house and when you got there a slave you would take your shoes off and a slave would wash your feet because that's the only thing that got dirty on the way you already had a bath you just need to wash what you've picked up on the way are you a child of God today you've had a bath 
If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, he's cleansed you and purged you. You've had a bath. You don't need another bath. You don't need to get saved again and again and again and again and again. But you do pick up dirt as you walk along, friends. Guaranteed, you picked some up this week. Maybe even since this morning, you got out of bed. Lord, I've been doing really great so far. I've been worshiping you and had a good attitude, but I haven't got out of bed yet. And so, <laughs> remember that prayer? <laughs> Pretty much, right? So I need that washing continually. What is this table about? Exactly that. We've gathered, we've had a bath, but we need to be washed where we've picked up dirt in the journey of life, which we've done. That's what communion is. It forces us back into this so that we pay attention. We take inventory. We check. Make sure we're not carrying dirt. Also, have I, have I lost my ground? Am I, am I not as concerned about your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven? That's why we gather around the table, right? So we've been doing a lot of sharing, but I'm going to curtail today. Uh, but I'm going to invite us to worship. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And uh, I've been singing this all morning since I got up. Uh, the song is, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. It's a new tune. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you all to sing through it together once and ponder what it is saying, how wonderful the grace of God is, how wonderful it is that Jesus did this for us. And does this for us today, washing our feet as we gather at the table. And then, while they play the tune, after we've sung it together, come on forward, partake. I'm going to have the team come up and hold the elements up here. And let me just say two things about our worship around the table. This is for believers, obviously. If you're hungry for Jesus, we welcome you. We'd love to pray with you. And you're welcome to come to the table to get fresh injections of grace, if you will. That's why we worship him around it. I I hate to even say this on occasion, but if you're telling God which direction to go and you don't want to listen to him, you really should just stay in your seat. And I highly respect that if you do that. But otherwise, you're welcome and we want you. If you are physically limited in some way, you're in pain today, you don't want to get up, Just raise your hand and some of the team members will bring you the elements. I'm going to ask that you take the bread when you come up. Receive it immediately. It's all gluten-free and alcohol-free, just so you all know. Nobody has to fear anything like that. And um, take the bread, take the cup to your seat, and we'll toast our King and Savior at the end together, okay? Thank you so much. Let's worship together. Can I ask, if you can, to stand and sing this? Fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stain. The dying 
dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. There may I divide as he wash all my sins away. And there may I divide as he wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power. Till all the ransomed church of God Be safe to sin no more Till all the ransomed church of God Are safe to sin no more Redeeming love has been my theme And shall be till I die Redeeming love has been my theme And shall be till I die
And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. There is a fountain filled with blood. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that has bathed us and continually washes us. And if you, the Lord and Master, the King, have washed our feet, help us to wash one another's. Help us. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, and we thank you for your shed blood and your redemption, never taking it for granted by your grace. There is a king. To the king and to his kingdom, there is a king. Put your angels around us, God. Strengthen us in our most holy faith. Those who are wrestling with you, give them grace to seek a brother or sister to pray them through. Lord, build us up so that we look more and more like our master Jesus. Help us, we pray. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, amen Amen and amen. You are dismissed. People will collect up the aisle if you have those cups. We don't have little catchers yet. God bless you and have a great day.